0: A seat, can we go back to that Penny War graphic? No, I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, you realize we could also pie, dear sweet Yvette. So, I'm, I didn't say it out loud, but yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, Mark 8 is where we're going to pick up. You have to at least admit she spends more time on her hair and her makeup than me, right? It's kind of like I'm set, you know? Pie would go a lot further. You with me, gentlemen? All right. All right, so we're in the Book of Mark. I see some of the men are with me. Hopefully, they're the men that control the checkbooks. All right, so all right. With me, fellas, all right. We're in the middle of the Book of Mark. We started the Book of Mark at the beginning of the year. We said we're going to split it into two sections. Uh, We're going to take the first half and ask the question, who is Jesus? And so we've spent time answering that question. Jesus as God, Jesus as man, Jesus as um, the storyteller, the preacher, the healer. We've looked at aspects of who Jesus is. And today we pivot to the second half of the book of Mark. I'm going to ask a new question. It's what is the gospel? As Jesus turns mid-gospel in each of the gospels, he pivots and he starts moving toward Jerusalem. What he does, he ramps up his teaching about his purpose here on earth, that he is here, he is God in human flesh, he is God, eternal God, come to earth in human flesh, fully God, fully man, right, a mystery, kind of the meeting place between heaven and earth, here, he lives a sinless life. He dies a death on a cross to take our place, to cover our sin, to forgive us for all that we have done against God. I know sin isn't always defined as something I do against God, but when we choose to go our way and not God's way, that's what we're doing. And so he lives a life that is always glorifying God, and then he gives his life as a trade, as a A substitute for you and I. He is laid in a grave and our sins are forgiven. But hear me. If the cross was the end of the gospel, we may be forgiven and reconciled to God. And that's amazing. But we would still be dead, trapped, confined to our sins. You see, it's on that third day that Jesus resurrects from the grave where he gives us new life. That he overcome Satan's sin and death where he has victory over the grave and then as he ascends to heaven and puts his spirit in us the very promise of your baptism that when you are baptized you receive the Holy Spirit in a new way that you can be empowered to live this life this place here imperfect as it may be and as he moves towards teaching that leaning into that message he begins to literally, physically walk toward Jerusalem, and that's the second half of Mark. And so we're asking, what is it that he's teaching us? We figured out who he is. There's more to learn for sure. I can't cover that in six weeks. But what is his message for us? So we're going to put a main idea today. The gospel is death bringing life. Jesus proclaims his death and resurrection repeatedly before it happens, Jesus also shows us how the gospel impacts us. Our dying to ourselves to bring new life, or true life, or real life. In other words, what we think we live here, apart from Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the gospel, is not life. It's broken. It's in need. It's lacking. But in Christ, when we learn to die to ourselves ourselves, we gain a sense of the real life we were created for. In fact, the very life we experience eternally. So Mark chapter 8, we're going to pick up in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, that's the Jewish leadership, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. So Jesus jumps right in here. This is right on the heels of him asking Peter, who do the people say that I am? Well, some say a prophet, and and others say John the Baptist, and and all these people have these different answers. And and Jesus looks at Peter and says, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Christ, or Messiah, means the promises of God fulfilled. He blesses Peter. He says, listen, on understanding that, getting that right, That's what the kingdom's about. Right after that, he begins to tell them listen, I'm going to be betrayed by the religious leadership. I'm going to be put to death, but then I'm going to resurrect back to life. Now, you've got to go back 2,000 years and you've got to unlearn everything you've ever learned in the world or in the church, particularly, especially about Jesus. You've got to listen to Peter's proclamation of who Jesus is. You're the fulfillment of God's promises, you're the plan. You're the plan forever. And then Jesus says, so I'm going to die. But it's cool. Three days later, I'm going to come back to life. Now, be someone hearing that for the first time. You wouldn't get it. We barely get it now. 2,000 years of history and lots of scripture, we barely get it today. Be a disciple in that moment. And you're like, wait a minute, I just said... Like you're the eternal king, you're going you're to fix all our problems, what do you mean you're going to die? And who comes back from the dead? So sit there for a minute. Figure out who this is and who's hearing this. And so here's what Jesus is teaching them. I'm we'll to put this up on the screen. All these notes, by the way, are in the app if you need them. Death and resurrection are both necessary. Jesus' death covers our sin and his resurrection gives new life. Without both, we would be incomplete. We'd either be separated from God because of our sin or powerless over life because we'd be trapped in our sin. His death covers it, forgives it. His resurrection gives us new life, empowers us to live in different ways. And so Jesus says this. He begins to teach them this. But he says very hard words in a setting where very hard to understand. And so, of course, they don't get it. Verse 32, and he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter pulls him aside and is like, dude, no, right? No, that's not right. He's telling Jesus this. We laugh. We wouldn't do any better. At least he had the courage to tell him, hey, uh uh-uh, right? No one there sitting there understood what Jesus was trying to tell them. Verse 33, but turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Sounds like a harsh rebuke, for sure. But it's necessary in this moment, like, listen, you're trapped here. You're trapped in this wicked, broken, sinful, fallen world. You're here. That's where Satan would be telling you. It's what evil wants you to believe that this can't happen. No, it has to happen. He says, You've got your mind on the things of God, but not on the things of man, right? We do this, we get our minds trapped here, here in this world, here in the things we can understand, here in the things we can wrap our heads around, here in the way that we think things should be. But Jesus would tell us, no, you've got to put your mind on the things of God. So here's another note for you. Things of God versus the things of man. Human understanding cannot grasp the things of God. Listening and learning from Jesus allows us to understand him, understand God, his plans, and our lives more clearly. Right? We've got to lift our head up above what makes sense here and begin to hear in new ways from Jesus about how we need to live and so jesus is going to take this and he's going to lean into his gospel teaching he's going to lean in to this motif of death and life and how they are necessary and how you need both and how he's come to provide both but how we as christians need to live in both death and life and so he starts he kind of breaks down their paradigm and says listen it's not going to make sense in this world but the things of god the kingdom things In the kingdom, this will make sense. Verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now you got to, again, hear this 2,000 years ago before Jesus dies. Take up your cross. So the cross in this moment was the most violent and painful way that Romans would put Non-citizen people like second- class citizen and below, they would put them to death. The Romans and, and they're in a line of many evil people who had done evil things. but the Romans perfected a way to torment a man, rarely a woman, because even Romans couldn't look at that. But they had perfected a way to make you suffer in such a way but not die. And so they would crucify, they beat you, they would crucify, they would nail you to a cross, but they would nail you so that you had to put weight on your feet, because when you hang from your arms, you actually start to cut off the carotid artery and makes it hard to breathe, and, and the blood flow, and so natural instinct on a human being is to push up so you can breathe and make yourself suffer. Pick up your cross daily and follow me made no sense again we barely get it right and we know the whole story he hadn't even gone to the cross yet the cross crosses crucifixion was horrible in fact the word that we have excruciating excrucis in the latin means from the cross when something is excruciating we're tying it back to that kind of death penalty it's that bad And so he's saying, listen, pick that up. Pick up your lethal injection, your death chamber, your electric chair. Pick up that and follow me daily. They're like, what? I've got to die, but I'm coming back to life. (sighs) What? Like, nothing you're saying makes sense. But I actually believe you. Like, I think you're it. I think you're the one God's been promising, but right now I don't get it. So the gospel, this death-bringing life, that we need to learn how to die to ourselves as Jesus died to this world, that we might live in new ways. Paul says this to the church in Rome. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, and I added, and daughters. It's the plural, children, of God. All who are led by the spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. You got to learn how to die to this way of living and learn how to live for the kingdom. You know, to learn how to live empowered by the spirit of God, the very spirit that Jesus poured out on us, the very spirit that resurrected Jesus from the grave. We've got to die to ourselves begin to live in the spirit. Let's start back at verse 34 again. And calling the crowd with him, he said to his disciples, uh, and with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Then he's going to apply this to us. Verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. So listen, if you live for this life, you lose everything. You live for me, you get everything. Right? They don't understand the resurrection. They don't get that. That hasn't happened yet. They don't really understand his paradigm that he's telling them that living for today is death and living for the kingdom is life now and later. Like they're not putting, they haven't got all this together yet. But this is a main theme of gospel living. This is a main theme not just of what Jesus must do, but of his gospel teaching. So we say, what is the gospel? The gospel is understanding this death equals life motif that Jesus not only lives, but teaches, that the apostle Paul picks up, as we just saw writing to a church in Rome. Here's another one as he writes to the church in Galatia. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For though these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Living empowered by the Spirit is not living by the flesh. Where in, the, uh, in, in Romans, where he says, "Then like living by the flesh means you won't live by the Spirit." Both sides, the positive and the negative. He's saying the same thing. He's saying the very things that Jesus taught on his way to the cross. Jesus continues, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So Jesus leans in to this paradigm shift for the people. Now i want to try and take something that we all understand, ask the question, and guaranteed, you're like, yeah, okay, but, but what about, right? You get that moment? So we raise our kids, and we spend a lot of time focusing on our kids. We want them to play sports. A lot of times we want them to play sports, not just for the discipline, not for the exercise, not for whatever. Probably most of our kids are not going to make it to the pro leagues in sports. Some might. We do that oftentimes as, as to live in this world, to give them something, to teach them something, but we also do it often to help them get into college. We're like, hey, you continue to do this. You're any good at it. That'll help us pay for college, right? And so college becomes this other goal, and we set this goal for our kids to go to college. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not saying don't go to college, right? I'm not even saying don't play sports. But I want you to see how sometimes what happens here is we get so invested in the sports league that our kids can't do anything else, and they can't go to youth group, Right, they can't. You know, sometimes we got away games. Or we got weekend games. We can't go to church. And passively, what we're teaching our kids is: yes, we say Jesus is most important, but no, he really isn't when the rubber meets the road. Like when life happens, because I've got a goal. We got. We got to do this. We got to get there. We like this, but we're only here. We're getting here. And so, sports and, and college, and future, and income, and career, and all those things are put in front of Jesus by the way we live. I remember two churches ago, as I was pastoring this church, there was this family, loved Jesus, served in the church. I mean, they were great. We would lose them for a series of months at a time because the girl was a really good basketball player in middle school and high school and college. We'd lose them for whatever that season, or her four-month or five-month season. we just lose them from church. What does that say? And so we, see, we read things like, so what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So what does it gain? What do we really get when we teach ourselves or when we believe ourselves that all these things, they're the goal in this life, and, and, and nothing gets in the way of the goal? We love to go to church. We love to worship. We love to serve. We love to do all those things. When we're not doing this, well, then this becomes a priority, and we focus on this, and this, whatever this is, whatever your this is, will die. Your hobby, your job, your education, it's gonna die. It's gonna die with you if it doesn't die sooner, it doesn't die with a blown out knee or a whatever, it dies but what do we lose in the meantime? You're like, you're right. You're totally right. But, but what about, but what about college? We got to go to college. But what about this? But what about, but I can't afford, or we got it. or this might be. What does Jesus say? What can you gain if you lose the other? And what do you really lose when you gain everything from Jesus? Would we be better to learn that lesson as a culture? Uh, the answer has to be yes. If Jesus taught it, it has to be yes. There's stories, story after story after story, of people giving up things. I had, uh, when I planted a church in Huntington Beach about 15, 17, gosh, I'm getting old, 17 years ago. And we had Alsh, young guy. Anyhow, so, uh, We'll talk tomorrow morning, at staff meeting, man, you and me, it's on. Everybody else got the day off. No. So planted a church, and we started on Saturday nights because that's what we could do. We had a Saturday night service. We did it for about three years. And by the end of the three years, the entire band were professional musicians that gave up their number one night to gig, their number one night, just to be in this worship band. It was amazing. There are people out there that are like, hey, listen, nothing is more important. We'll do the other things, but we're going to find a way to do them around our commitment to faith. Right? People will find churches that have a Saturday night service because you are playing games on Sunday. I mean, there's answers. Our question isn't that, it's how do we actually prioritize Jesus, even if it means the loss of something? That's what Jesus is saying die to the flesh. That's not just some spiritual, don't sin, pick up your cross daily, may contain some suffering. It was the number one suffering way to die, I think, of human history. Jesus continues, I want to read it again though, verse 36, let's go back a little bit. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be also ashamed when he comes in glory with the Father and the holy angels. He says, listen, if you can't make a stand here, I'm not going to make a stand in front of God for you. Pretty strong teaching. Pick up your cross. They're like, what? Die daily, huh? Listen, if you're ashamed of me, I'm ashamed of you. Hard words. Mark 9. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. There's a lot loaded in here. Jesus begins his teaching and preaching ministry for with repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, I'm the kingdom. The kingdom is now here. I'm here. This is when the kingdom comes in power. There's going to be a shift in what the kingdom looks like. And Jesus says this. He says, there are some of you here that are standing here. Remember, he's in a crowd of people and his disciples are with him. There are some of you standing here who will not die until you see the kingdom of heaven come with power. Verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John... And led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them, appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. This is called the Mount of Transfiguration often. Transfigured means we can see Jesus in his eternal glorified body. And with him, what happens, the disciples, the three that go up with him, so it's a week after all this teaching, you know they've been hearing more of it, they've been sitting back trying to debrief with Jesus and understand it, and then Jesus shows them, gives them a glimpse, and a lot of people have tied that, there are some who are standing here today who will see, you know, the kingdom with power, and they think it's this, they think it's this transfiguration, but this is just a preview of what's to come. It's a preview of the resurrected Jesus. So we'll put this on the screen. Jesus gives a foretaste of the resurrection up on the mountain where the disciples see a glorified Jesus with Eliza, Elijah, and Moses also alive. Just again, imagine that, if you can. You're on this mountain, all of a sudden Jesus is transformed into what must be this kind of eternal forever Jesus. And then Elijah and Moses. Now, bear with me. Elijah and Moses show up. They know who it is. This is before Instagram, right? Let I me mean, like, so they didn't have pictures to work with. How'd they know? Thank you. Kicked in. All right. Light move. Okay, so a lot of people ask this question like, will we know one another in heaven? My answer is always yes because of this. They somehow know them. But they see them. People have been dead for 1,500 or more years. And they see them with Jesus who's transformed. Verse 5, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I love Peter. He makes me feel better about myself. (laughs) He has no idea what to say or what to think. Scared to death, so are the other disciples. You would be too, right? This just got crazy weird right in front of them. But powerful, not just odd, not scary, powerful. So Peter's like, Jesus, good thing I'm here. I'm going to make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Like, hey, it's a good thing I'm here, Jesus. Sometimes we all do that. Hey, I, Jesus is just kind of blessed to have me on the squad, right? <laughs> this church is just super lucky I show up, right? <laughs> we do that. Okay. You would never do that. Other broken, stupid people like me, we do that, right? Oh, look what I contribute, right? That was Peter in this moment, like, glad I'm here. You're glad I'm here. I'm going to build tents for people who live in heaven that are, don't need one. How do we do that sometimes, right? We just think we get it, or maybe we know we don't get it and we talk anyhow, right? we just kind of stand in, but we do think, Hey, it's kind of good that I'm here, right? Like I'm 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 a benefit ad in this moment. Verse 7 says, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. God audibly says, listen to Jesus. Be in that moment once, right? God from heaven speaks. Listen to my son, Jesus. Right? Just imagine, okay, for sake of argument. Let's just say that happened right now. Like God just spoke, listen to Pastor Jeff. Some of you would wake up, right? Some of you, the nap time in church would end, right? Like, whoa, this got serious really quick, right? God speaks from heaven. Listen to him. Okay, that's a life-changing moment right there. Like, Okay. It just got real, really fast. Verse 8, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. I want to ask you a question. We'll put this up. How are we like Peter? That's my question for us. How are we like Peter? Well, that's a question for today. Do we talk more than we listen? Do we pray more than we worship? Now let me let me even say this differently. When we pray, are we doing all the talking or do we spend time listening and do we pray more than we worship because as bad as the american church is modern day at prayer i think we may struggle with worship even more right do we talk more than we listen when god's command is to listen to jesus are we here to learn and grow or to be served What does this reveal about our relationship with God? Do we come in and go out and never become a part, contribute, serve, give of your giftedness? Do we come and take? What does this reveal about our relationship? When we do all the talking, just all of you that are married, you know how this works. If one person does all the talking, and husbands, don't make the joke right now. It's not a good time. (laughs) After Valentine's Day. I know, the word count. I got it. But if only one person talks, I'm telling you it's not going to go well, right? Same with God. Like, we're here to listen. Yeah, we should pour out our hearts to God. We should ask. We should do that. We should be listening. We should be worshiping, too. We should be giving God what he calls us to do. We should be hearing from Jesus. in His. These are Jesus' words. I might be reading them. They're his words. That's why we cover so much scripture on a Sunday is because if if 60, 70% of the message is scripture, then for sure 60, 70% of it's right. The other 30, 40, who knows? But scripture's right. We can anchor to that. So the more scripture, the less of me, the better. These are Jesus' words. We should be listening like God just said to listen. Verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So there's that again. going to die and resurrect. Don't tell anybody what you saw. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. They still don't get it. But Peter is done saying dumb things for the moment, right? Like, okay, lesson learned. That was creepy, right? Or really good, or I don't know. But I shouldn't have said anything, and I did. And I made it awkward, and I'm sorry. Don't tell anybody. All right, you got it. Still have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. But I'm convinced you're right. I just don't get it. I've seen it. I just don't understand it. I love where Peter is in this story. It says they kept the matter themselves. They finally are starting to listen. Verse 11, and they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? I want you to see this kind of trajectory, right? So Peter speaks, not from a great place, right? First, he confesses Jesus is the Christ, which was good. That was the passage right before, right? And then he tells Jesus, nope, you don't get to die like that. And he gets rebuked by Jesus. And then they go up on the mountain and they see Jesus transformed and transfigured and glorified. And they see all this. And Peter's like, good thing I'm here, right? Like, whew, glad I'm here. And then he realizes, like, ooh, that was dumb, and then God says, listen. And Peter begins to listen. His listening turns into obedience because every time before this it seems like something happens and Jesus will say to whoever like, hey, don't tell anybody, and they run and tell everyone. and it ruins the, the, the spot that they're in for ministry, like someone will be healed and Jesus will say, "Don't tell anybody, just go to the priest and offer the sacrifice. they go tell the whole town, the whole town comes out and crowds in on Jesus, and he can't stay there anymore. There's a move, there's a shift to listening now. And instead of when they have a question now, they're asking. So I still don't get this one thing. Remember when we were talking about her you and some people say Elijah? But then the scriptures say that Elijah must come first. Like, what does that mean? Like, I love that they're asking questions and not just saying things anymore. Verse 30, we're going to skip down a little bit. Jesus answers their question. It's a little off topic for today, so we're going to skip down. Verse 30 They went on from there and passing through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered to the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he was killed, after three days he will rise. So notice the same message. Death and burial. Three days later, resurrection from the dead. And again, hasn't happened yet. They're still not fully grasping it. Or he wouldn't be saying it again and again and again but it is a main idea for Jesus. This death and life image and motif, it just it's common and it's, it's pivotal for the gospel message. Verse 32, again, they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And we've gotta cut them some slack because really what Jesus is saying makes no sense. We live on the other side of it and we've got tons of questions with the full story. They're living it. But they're listening. They're learning. They're, they're changing. And they're trying to lift their eyes up above worldly thinking, human logic, understanding. And they're trying to figure out this kind of kingdom life that Jesus keeps teaching them about that is different. And so they're beginning to listen and ask more questions and be more obedient. And that's a win. That's a win for us. I'll say that again, when we listen, when we ask more questions, and when we're obedient. Like, that's a win coming out of Jesus speaking. Once you turn the page or scroll or whatever you're doing to Mark 10, verse 32, he does it one more time. It says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. So remember, here's the moment. In Mark, we pivot in the middle in every gospel. It happens in in every gospel. There's a pivot, and then movement towards Jerusalem. I think it's in the Gospel of Luke where it says, and he set his face toward Jerusalem like he now is fixed, focused on what's next. He's going to work his way towards the cross. This is on the way. So uh, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Feel the emotions in this. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, meaning the Romans. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Same story, same promise. Same prediction, same message, more details. Here's how it's going to happen. You're going to see these things take place. Have no fear, I'm coming back, I'm going to raise from the dead in three days. And again, it's beyond their comprehension. They're all going to have to see it and experience the resurrected, living, glorified Jesus for themselves to understand and finally get a hold of what he was saying and again, Put yourself in their shoes for a minute, or sandals, as it were, right? Hard to get. Never happened before, never happened since. So they're trying to get a hold of it, but Jesus is making sure, don't miss this. This is the key to what I'm doing. This is the key to the message. Don't miss this. Because once I do this, then you're going to have to learn how to daily take up your cross Daily, lay down your life. Daily, lean into the spirit of God so that you can live. You're going to have to learn how to lay down this life. And when as soon as you're like, okay, so lay down this. But what about this? No, just lay down this life. Because what profits a man if he gains everything here and loses everything forever? But you can start gaining everything now, today, in Christ If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, you can begin that journey today by asking Jesus to forgive your sins that he gave his life for, and by asking Jesus to give you that new life. Christians that have been Christians for a minute, or a lot of time, all of us have that we have to return, realize, oh, I've been picking up more of this life than I really should. I, I haven't been laying this life down. See, this is our moment. I'm going to put up three slides that we put up. One was just the main idea today. And the other two are the verses. I'm just going to ask you this question. How do you need to live this out in your life? Right? It's going to be different for me than it is for you. But if we understand what Jesus is talking about, then we can figure it out. So Jesus proclaims his death and resurrection repeatedly before it happens. He also shows how the gospel impacts us. Our dying to ourselves brings new life. How? do we need to die to ourselves today? Then Paul writes to the Romans, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. All who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. How do we die to the flesh and live in Christ? Paul again to the church in Galatia but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, here's the answer. It's not a bunch of hard work you do. It's not a whole bunch of you gotta work really hard to die. That's not it. We make it work. He says, here, all you gotta do, walk by the spirit. It's not what you have to do, it's more about what you don't do. It's releasing control to the spirit that lives in you. Walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want. In other words, the things that you desire for your faith in your life. And so again, it's, this isn't a go out, try hard, or work really hard to please Jesus message. This is a learn how to die. You don't have to do much to die. And then allow the Spirit inside you that is the very gift of Christ to us to live through you, transform you, lead you, direct you, guide you. And again, today is that moment. As we said last week, we we have desired since COVID started to get back to daily to weekly communion. Our belief in communion is Jesus sat with his disciples, you're unfamiliar, he sat at a table, he had a meal, he broke bread. And he said, listen, this is my body broken for you. I'm going to suffer on your behalf. I'm going to die for you. He took a cup and he said, this is a covenant, a promise, a guarantee in my blood for the forgiveness of your sin. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me. And Paul will go on to write about that and say, listen, as often as we do that, we proclaim the gospel over ourselves until Jesus returns. And so communion is a means of grace, It's a means of strengthening your spiritual life. It is not just a memorial, it's not just just an action. But this is, again, like Jesus, this is the place where heaven and earth come together and strengthen and, and, and empower you to live this week. Like food nourishes our body, communion nourishes our spirit. That it is a means of grace from Christ to you. And so today, as I pray some elders that are going to serve us communion. And you'll come forward and come down the, the sides where they're standing and go back out the middle or the sides where, you, where you're sitting. But come contemplatively. Come thoughtfully. Come asking, where do I need to die so that I can really begin to live for you, Jesus? Knowing the very thing you're celebrating is How? It's going to happen, that he gave his life, that he was broken. You could be made whole. Your sins are forgiven, and his spirit lives in you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You gave everything for us. And all you do is you ask us to give of something we can't keep anyhow, to give us this short life that we live. Whether it's 100 years is a short life compared to all of the span of eternity. All those who died in faith, your disciples, have already lived on with you for thousands of years. We can learn how to live for you in this life. We can give to you what we can't even keep ourselves, our own life. And when we give that to you, when we die to ourselves, when we pick up our cross and we begin to live by your spirit, we actually will begin to live the life we were created to live forever. So Jesus, will you meet us here in this moment? As we take communion, will you strengthen us? Will you help us to lay down our lives and allow your spirit to lead them? Let us not leave here thinking we have got to try harder. There's nothing we can do. This must be a work of the Spirit. Strengthen us in our faith. Forgive us our sin. Make us whole, please. Dear Jesus, it's in your name we pray.